Welcome to Hunting Humbug 101 with me, Theo Clark. This is an original episode that was recorded with my father, Jeff Clark. It's on moving the goalposts and red herrings. Welcome to Hunting Humbug 101, and I'm joined this afternoon by my father and co-author, Jeff Clark. G'day, Dad. How are you? G'day, Theo. Fine, thanks. Okay, this afternoon we're going to be uh, looking at two fallacies, moving the goalposts and red herrings. Uh, they're very similar, but there is a subtle difference. Moving the goalposts is a fallacy we actually have in our book, Humbug the Skeptic's Field Guide to Spotting Fallacies and Thinking. Uh, red herrings is one that we've just only got on the website. Um, so we'll initially start off with reading, moving the goalposts from the book, and then we will talk more about both of them. Okay, moving the goalposts, the other terms we had for that in the book, shifting sands, raising the bar, which is a common expression, and running for cover. And we described moving the goalpost uh, this way. The advocate changes the nature of the discussion by seeking to make the opponent tackle a more difficult version of the topic. The topic that was originally under discussion is recast, and the new version favours the advocate. This tactic is often used when the backpedalling advocate feels that he or she is about to lose the argument. With the goalposts in their original position, the opponent would score, but with the post moved, the opponent's shot is now off target. Examples. Number one. Belladonna claims that Sybil Antwhisper, her roommate, is not sharing the housework equitably. Sybil tells Bella to go away and itemise and record... Who does what household tasks? If Bella can show that she does more housework than Sybil, then Sybil will mend her ways. A week passes and Bella shows Sybil clear evidence that Sybil does not pull her weight around the house. Sybil, the advocate, responds, That's all very well, but I have more work and study commitments than you do. You should do more housework than me. It's the total work of all kinds that matters, not just housework. And the second example we have in the book, Three weeks out from the state election, the Premier and Leader of the Opposition are taking part in a televised debate. The issue in contention is the running of public hospitals under the current government. The Leader of the Opposition, Ken Oath, is making his point. Under your government, the average waiting times in emergency rooms is four hours. Now that's just not good enough. The Premier, Philip Inhek, replies, I agree. Four hours is clearly not good enough. That's what it was before we came into office. Under my government, the waiting time has actually been reduced from two to four hours, from, sorry, from four to two hours. Ken responds, well, that's not the real issue anyway. It's waiting times for operations. Comment. In the first example, the implied agreement between Bella and Sybil at the outset was that the amount of housework done by both parties should be about the same. When Sybil was confronted by the evidence, however, she quickly and unilaterally changed the terms of the debate. She did this because the evidence was against her version of events and she was about to lose the argument on the issue as originally defined. 
Whether or not it is morally right to count all forms of work when assessing household contributions is not the issue here. The issue here is that the ducking and weaving advocate, Sybil, is seeking to change the terms of the dispute to avoid a defeat on the original issue in contention. In this situation, and if Bella is a sceptic and critical thinker, she would point out that Sybil was attempting to move the goalposts. She would insist that they resolve the original question as agreed, and that any further discussion or extension of the issue would have to be considered separately. If the issue had originally been defined as total work rather than housework, then Sybil would have a point. As it is, her argument is weak and ethically suspect. In the second example, Ken realises that he had initially used an out-of-date information which did not support his case. Instead of acknowledging this, he attempts to change the focus of their discussion on public hospitals from emergency rooms, waiting times, to waiting times for operations. Philip would be well advised to point this shift in focus out and say that he is more than happy to discuss this new issue, which is the waiting times for operations, once the first issue has been resolved. Moving the goalposts can be avoided if both parties agree at the outset to clearly define the parameters of the discussion. Time spent doing this is time well spent. Otherwise discussions can become misdirected, frustrating and pointless. And now I'll read out the, an example of red herrings. A red herring is when the advocate deliberately introduces an irrelevant topic into a discussion or debate in order to divert attention away from the topic under consideration. Yeah, so red herring is, is definitely a little bit different from moving the goalposts. Moving the goalposts, the, the conversation or the topic is still pretty similar. Whereas a red herring, it, it can actually is a complete distractor. Basically, that's the way I think of a red herring is a, it basically acts as a distractor from whatever you're talking about. Whereas moving the goalposts, it's actually just, is much more subtle. So the conversation has been shifted along, um, in a slight difference. And so red herring actually comes from a metaphor, I think, or something, doesn't it, Dad? Yeah. And it's a good way to remember its essential nature because the metaphor really works in this case. It's a good analogy. Um, in, um, a case where hounds are following a scent uh, of, say, a fox, if a red herring is drawn across their path, um, the, the smell of the red herring and its attractiveness to the dogs is so strong that it diverts them from their path. So it actually comes from an actual um, usage in, in, in practice. Mm. No, and that, that's the um, important point is that that has taken it completely off the, the path and so it's been used as a, 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 an actual distractor. Um, yeah, oh, there's a few different examples to talk about on the, uh, on the website of, of both and so I'll just um, mention a few of them. Um, one of the ones, and I apologise to any American listeners because it's about cricket, um, and last summer in Australia, um, Australia was playing India in cricket and there was a, a big uh, hub-hub about different um, kind of uh, angry displays between the different um, t different players in each side. And one of them, Harbhajan Singh, was a, a bowler for India, and he had basically made a racial slur on one of the Australian players. And one of the cricket commentators, Peter Roebuck, uh, said this about Harbhajan Singh in 
his uh, commentary about the whole incident. He said, Harbhajan Singh can be an irritating young man, but he's head of a family and responsible for raising nine people. And all the Australian elders want to do is hurt him from, uh, is, is to hunt him from the game. Australian fieldsmen fire insults from the corners of their mouths, and the intemperament Sikh warrior overreacts, and his rudeness is seized upon. So, apparently, because he has children. That excuses him from being a racist. So it's a complete distractor. It is completely irrelevant to the, the actual point, which was he had made racial slurs by calling uh, one of the um, indigenous or one of the um, uh, sorry, not indigenous, but uh, Australian players who is from uh, the West Indies, so he's black. Uh, Andrew Simons called him a big monkey, and apparently that's okay because he's the head of a family. Yeah, that, that, that almost comes into the WTF yeah, uh, WTF fallacy, fallacy, which we'll right. discuss separately on another occasion. But I, I'm reminded of the, um, the joke about the bus driver who was constantly late and there were complaints about that. So he decided to make up for being 10 minutes late every day by being an hour early once. Yep. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's like, uh, what? Who? How? Yep. It, it, the response is really um, incredulity that the, the, the response simply doesn't match the circumstances or the nature of the argument. Well, you on. can't necessarily expect people who write about sport to uh, be particularly down with um, understanding fallacies and things like that. And so maybe he thought that was a um, good argument. The other one I had was um, uh, a bit of a red herring too, was um, a bit of a lawsuit uh, against uh, an actor, an Australian actor, who had assaulted his um, girlfriend. Um, and he pleaded not guilty to the charge of doing that. And his lawyer on the outside said, 90 people died in Iraq today, most of them kids. This is a very minor matter. Again, it's complete utter red herring. It's not so. It's not moving the goalpost because it's completely off topic, and but it is designed as a distractor. And it, again, yes, you're right. In the grand scheme of things, 90 people dying in Iraq is worse than someone beating their girlfriend. However, it's completely irrelevant to the the actual thing where the people are interested in, which is you know this guy assaulting his girlfriend. Yeah, I certainly see the Chewbacca defence as the strongest possible ridicule. Of that kind of tendency to be completely off. Well, absolutely. Off. And so at this stage, if you haven't heard of the Chewbacca defence, you should go and read about it on uh, Wikipedia. I'll put the link up. It's an episode of South Park, um, which is uh, taking the mickey out of the Johnny Cochran uh, defence of O.J. Simpson, and it's called the Chewbacca defence, and it's to do with the character Chef, who uh, is suing a record company for stealing his music. Um, and he gets Johnny Cochran to argue uh, his case using, and he uses the Chewbacca defence, which we'll play now. Ladies and gentlemen of the supposed jury, Chef's attorney would certainly want you to believe that his client wrote stinky breaches ten years ago, and they make a good case. Hell, I almost felt pity myself. But ladies and gentlemen of this supposed jury, I have one final thing I want you to consider. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Chewbacca. Chewbacca is a Wookiee from the planet Kishik. But Chewbacca lives on the planet Endor. Now think about that. That does not make sense. Damn it. What? He's using the Chewbacca defense. Why would a Wookiee, an eight-foot-tall Wookiee, want to live on Endor with a bunch of two-foot-tall Ewoks? That does not make sense. But more importantly, you have to ask yourself, what does this have to do with this case? Nothing. Ladies and gentlemen, it has nothing to do with this case. It does not make sense. 
Look at me. I'm a lawyer defending a major record company, and I'm talking about Chewbacca. Does that make sense? Ladies and gentlemen, I am not making any sense. None of this makes sense. And so you have to remember, when you're in that jury room deliberating and conjugating the Emancipation Proclamation, does it make sense? No. Ladies and gentlemen of this supposed jury, it does not make sense. If Chewbacca lives on indoor, you must acquit the defense rest. Yeah, so that obviously is a great, the perfect example of the ultimate red herring fallacy there, the Chewbacca defense. It just doesn't make any sense. It's an absolute classic. It, it's, um, it's, it's such a classic that um, people who are not followers of South Park uh, might not quite get the point. Um, you have to tune into the kind of South Park humour for a while before it really grows on you. But if you are a South Park fan, you'll, you'll see just how effective that is. It's ridicule upon ridicule. Um, and really that kind of, um, that level of ridicule is often the only way you can respond effectively to a true red herring, um, that's thrown in your path. Absolutely. No, well, my, um, uh, my, my favourite red herring is without doubt the South Park one and an end. But I think now we'll move on and quickly talk about um, moving the goalposts, and so hopefully people will be able to uh, hear the distinction between that and a red herring. And one of the um, examples that I used uh, on the website again was an article by a an education guru um, called David Runzel, and he wrote an article called "Gold Star Junkies." And the whole it was all against um, uh, different behaviour management techniques, in particular using extrinsic motivation, so motivating students by you know rewarding them, and um, it's really important to uh, understand that the fact that what he's done here is he's subtly changed the tune of his um, argument. So the initial article starts off with him talking about the fact that. Well, I'll read it out. He says, And so I came to believe that rewards and punishments devised by parents and school officials had more to do with adult chest beating than true efficacy. So we'll note there, of course, he's also impugning motives. Um, My insights, I later discovered, were hardly original. A near consensus on the limits of extrinsic motivation had emerged from the scholarly research done in the 1970s and 80s. Rewards and punishments are not only ineffective at motivating students and adults, for that matter... They are, in fact, counterproductive. And so it's not my purview to talk about whether that's um, you know, valid or not. The point is, by the end of his article, he's actually moved on to kind of redefine what he actually meant. And so he's changed his position, he's moved the goalpost. And so, as, I say, as it says at the end of his article, he says, of course, if systems of rewards and punishments are really as bad as some assert, and so all of a sudden some, it's not him anymore... Um, uh, they would have been swept from the classroom years ago. The fact that so many teachers deploy them then points to more inherent value. Even many of researchers critical of rewards are reluctant to condemn, condemn them unconditionally. So he's now changed his tune, and so he shifted the goalpost. Given the, the fact that the whole article is actually called Gold Star Junkies, the way he's set up that article as if, as if rewards are bad, but by the end of it, he has 
you know, changed his tune a little bit. And I don't like, I of course, don't want to force people to have to stick with their original argument. They should be allowed to change their tune. But the fact that he set that up as a bit of a straw man in the first place, that this is what he's arguing against, and then by the end of the article he goes, well, actually, that's not what I really mean. I really mean this. And so he's moved, he's, he's subtly shifted the goalposts of his argument to try you, and make him look right yeah, the whole yeah. way through. The other thing about that argument, too, Theo, is that... Um you can see elements of other fallacies overlapping with the moving of goalposts, and this is important uh, for people to realise if they're looking sceptically at any argument, that um, often there's a multitude of fallacies. Um, some are more central than others. But even um, within that particular article and that particular approach, you can see elements of, uh, for example, a straw man or false positioning mm, yeah. where he's describing a theoretical opponent in much more extreme yeah. Yeah. terms than that opponent would actually take. And there's also the black and white sort of fallacy that it's got to be all or nothing. Um, is, there's also elements of that there. So uh, when we're talking about fallacies and uh, we have the gotcha experience where you would identify a fallacy, um, don't worry about the fact that you can see other elements of other fallacies in there because often a simple statement, even a phrase or a sentence can contain in its structure either two complete fallacies or yep. two complete fallacies plus elements of a third. So it just it just informs our, our discussion. We don't have to really make the claim that at any point is a particular mm -hmm. fallacy or another particular fallacy. Yep. No, well, the fallacies, the whole point of it is to give you the um, framework within which you can discuss why someone is full of it, but... The whole point of it is to give you the idea of just even looking out for them and then naming a particular one. But obviously there's always going to be an overlap and certainly my experience is if someone's guilty of making one, they're usually pretty good at making even more fallacies than that. Uh, all right, so we'll move on to probably my favourite section, which is Schadenfreude. Schadenfreude. The guilty pleasures of humbug. My uh, One of my favourite red herrings that I like to do, I suppose you might call it a red herring, is that if I, um, if I want a particular viewpoint to come across or to get my way with, with, say, colleagues or people that I'm trying to work with, what I'll actually do is put a deliberate red herring in there in the first place, which they can argue against, one that I had never intended that to win the argument with, but to make them feel like they've won that point with me and make them feel like they've contributed. And so I deliberately put in, um, say, uh, go to one ridiculous extreme in some particular point of view, and then they can argue against it and feel special that they won that debate. And in matter of fact, I had already planned from the very outset to, to never be that extreme. And I, I don't want to give specific, specific examples because I don't want to um, give it away to any people I might work with. Uh, but that's certainly one of the things that you can deliberately use a red herring to make people spot it and then make them feel like they've contributed or they've won even with you, but that was what you've intended in the first place. You need to make sure you tell other people that, otherwise I'll think you're just doing a bit of a post-hoc um, retrodictive fallacy. But the point is that you can actually use them deliberately to end up with the, the actual knowing you'll get caught out but using it deliberately anyway. The other thing, Theo, I'm just um, smiling here, is I remember the many of t many times I've said, uh, when, when I look like losing an argument, I've said incredulously to the other person, 
Are you are you saying that you didn't spot the red herring that I deliberately put in there? Implying one. And yeah, this implies there was one when there wasn't. Uh, also, the other the other one I use frequently is. Um, uh, surely you you don't think I was serious? <laughs> I was being ironic. Uh, and uh, then they have to backtrack and think about the argument and talk out what. I think my favourite one of yours is that you say that's definitely a red herring. Is um. That really doesn't surprise me at all. If you just throw that in there into a conversation. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it doesn't really surprise me to hear you say that really at all, or, or, or knowing you, it doesn't surprise me that you would say that. And just leave it at and that. And just leave it at that. Yeah, it's like when someone gets a haircut, I don't ever compliment them on the haircut, I just say to them, wow, you got a haircut, and just leave it at that. Leave them guessing as to yes, what I actually yes, think of it. Yeah. yes. Yeah, no, and the the point of that is too. Again, with these kinds of things, it's generally not. I don't have a problem with using that kind of uh, rhetoric in terms of just a bit of fun, but it's not when you're after just trying to get to the truth of a matter. And when you're trying to get to the truth of a matter, that's a different mat- That's a different situation where you then shouldn't you know use fallacies and so on because you're actually interested in finding out you know what is or isn't so. Um, but any of those cases, normally it's just a matter of having a bit of an intellectual duel with somebody, which is just a, a bit of good fun. Okay, so that was um, Red Herrings and uh, Moving the Goalposts, and next week we'll be back to look at other fallacies. Um, we'll probably look at false dichotomies and false dilemmas next week. So until then, you've been listening to Hunting Humbug 101. Don't forget, you can subscribe through iTunes or another RSS feed, and write us a review or send us an email. Uh, you can look up the contact for us on the website www.humbughunting.net. So that was the original episode recorded with my father Jeff. I'll be back in a fortnight with a new episode. Thanks for listening.